Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back with you again. Um, got a couple of announcements on September. Um, the, the first week, uh, Wednesday in September, which would be the 7th, I believe, uh, we will be returning to our Wednesday services. Uh, praise Jesus for that. Uh, I'm all caught up with my work, and, and uh, we'll be returning to the, to our regular Wednesday and Sunday services. Um, and I wanted to talk to you, the, the, those that are living in, in Ash Fork, the surrounding areas, Juniper Woods, all the way to Seligman, those that listen to to the broadcast, the church needs your attendance. It really does. It's it's going down to, to literally nothing where uh, it's, we're unable to pay the insurance. So um, it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, so we're asking that, you know, if you're living in the area, please attend the church. Uh, you know, an empty church does nothing for the salvation of the lost. A full church declares that God is there, Holy Spirit is there, and draws people in. So uh, if you're in that area, please stop by. Uh, Sunday services at 11 o'clock and, uh, and, and fulfill God's prophecy for that church. We're going to be skipping around today because um, I wanted to talk to you about the two thieves that was hanging on the cross. That's in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 40 is where we'll start. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how in today's world, uh, it's hard to find people that believe in God. Whether it be the political atmosphere, whether it be um, coming out of COVID, I'm not sure what it is. But many of the pastors I speak to, their attendance is is, is dropped to, to really way off to just a, a percentage of what they used to have. Many churches are uh, folding up, closing down. And I think that we as Christians, we have to uphold Christ in these in these in these in times. We have to be able to to strengthen our families and our friends with the word of God in these end times, in these times of inflation. And, and, you know, we see America crumbling before our eyes. We have to uphold the word of God. This is our test. This is this is what God is 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 using as a test for you and I. Will we uphold his word? Will we do as as the word commands and go forth and and preach the gospel to all creation? Where do you stand? Is this is this the, the the power of the moment for you? Where is that 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 line where the power of the moment, the power of the opportunity comes where you can you can actually speak to someone about Jesus Christ? Is it a family that's sleeping in their car? Over here is a families that are camped out by the river because there's no place, there's no housing. There's no jobs. So I believe that this is our test, is, 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 brothers and sisters, is, is what I call the power of the moment. You know, when that moment arises, will you have the answers that they're seeking? For certainly many people are giving up. Many, many hordes of people are giving up 
we see the homeless population in Frisco and Phoenix and and LA, um, New York City, everywhere has has quadrupled the amount of homeless. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning for our, our Sunday broadcast. And Father, we just ask that your, your Holy Spirit come and guide and direct this broadcast. We ask, Lord, that you would be with each and every individual as they seek the power of the moment in their lives. That moment when when they'll, they'll just deny or they'll acknowledge. You know, I'm here because of God. I'm here because Jesus Christ died on the cross. What will it be for us, Lord? Will we be a doubting Thomas? Or will we take the moment it takes to speak to someone about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers? We pray, Lord God, that we would be the latter, that we would be that person that would speak of Jesus Christ and and the salvation of the lost and bring them to know Jesus Christ and invite them into the church for churches are dying right now. That's the devil's plan. And we're falling into it. I pray for each and every one of you that are listening today. I pray and I lift you up. I pray for your redemption and, and, and ask God to, to forgive and ask God to, to love you and lift you up in these times. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, as we begin this morning, I want you to think about this. You know, they, there was there, there was others that was crucified on that day. One of the criminals hanging beside Christ, he scoffed. He said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. That was the first thief. But the other thief protested. And he said, don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied back to that thief. I assure you today. You will be with me in paradise. It's the power of the moment. The thief on the cross. He's been mentioned by every preacher. Who ever preached the gospel. Anyone Whoever said anything about the Bible knows who the thief on the cross is. Now, I'm nobody's judge. I don't. I, I, I didn't know this man. I don't know all the crimes and, and sure don't know all of his sins. But what I do know is this. This man represents something powerful. Powerful. He represents something that, that many people who believe They understand God will never understand. His testimony is not that he is righteous. He's not saying, I'm righteous. I don't belong on the cross. He has no excuse. 
He has no justification for his crime or his sins. He is a thief. See, a thief understands something that many people don't understand. A thief understands the power of the moment, the power of that moment of, of opportunity. That's what thieves do. They prey on opportunity. That moment when no one else is paying attention. That moment when other people are sleeping. That moment when the thief has been waiting for. The moment to take what he didn't work for. The moment to steal what doesn't belong to him. The thief on the cross frustrates many preachers. We can't place him. We can't place him in the Old Testament in Judaism. We can't place him in the New Testament of the church. People are always saying, well, what about the thief on the cross? He didn't get baptized. He never went to church. And look, he got to go to heaven with Jesus Christ. And for us preachers, we have no response. We can't explain the whole situation. The man never met Jesus in his life, except that this incredibly brief moment where he is about to be crucified for his crimes. And in that moment, hanging there, wounded, beaten, suffering, this thief, he might have got caught. He might be paying for his misdeeds. His situation might not look too good. But don't underestimate the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Because the thief knows something that evidently no one else knows. The thief knows the power of the moment. Say that with me. The power of the moment. He knows that there is a very small moment in time that if you're going to seize something, you're going to have to do it in that moment that the owner isn't looking. So had it not been for this moment, it is common understanding that this guy would not have gone to heaven. Why? Because he was a thief. He was a sinner. He doesn't belong. But there he is being crucified on the cross next to Jesus. Talk about luck. Talk about an opportunity of the moment. He's about to score the biggest heist of all time. He's about to pinch something that nobody ever would have thought it possible. He seized the moment. All of his life was one big mess. This wasn't the first time he got caught. No, his, his rap sheet goes way, way, way back. Long before he ever stole anything from anybody, he was lusting. He was racking up sins way before he ever got caught stealing. In James chapter 1, verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, too often we judge a person after we catch them. But understand, long before they got caught by you, long before you saw them do what they did, God had already saw the lust in their heart. God had already saw the lust within their hearts. Sometimes we think we're so smart because we caught them. 
We get all spiritual because we've got scripture and verse for what they did wrong. But understand this, long before you caught them, God already knew what was going on. Do you know why Jesus wasn't cut off guard when, when, when they threw that the prostitute at his feet? He already knew what was going on in her life. Can I just say this this morning? God doesn't need anybody's help keeping track of someone else's sins. And you shouldn't be worried about somebody else's sins. You should be worried about your own. Let God worry about that stuff. Let God do God and you do you. Amen. We have to be careful because while we're pointing our finger at the thief who just got caught stealing, God sees the lust that is going on in your heart. Lust will get you into hell just as fast as anything else. You don't have to do anything to lust. You just have to think it. We haven't gotten caught yet, but it's there. And God sees it. And we're all guilty of it. I want to just say this. None of us are without sin. Say that with me. None of us are without sin. We have all sinned. We are all guilty. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sin in their life. Everybody. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why we need salvation. That's why we have this broadcast. To pray for the salvation of the lost of this world. See, that's why we need Jesus. See, God already knew who would need his help. That's what the cross was all about. Somebody had to pay the price for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen and amen. So here's Jesus paying the bill. Paying your bill. See, we, we owed a debt we could not pay. And he paid the debt that he did not owe. That's, that, that, that's not just any blood being shed on the cross. That's the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Salvation wasn't cheap. Salvation came at a cost, the cost of the life of the Son of God. And salvation is the most valuable thing known to man. To have an opportunity to go to heaven even after we live the way we lived our lives, is an amazing opportunity. After all we did, all we got away with, and all we didn't get away with, God knows all the stuff, yet he still offers you salvation today. Today. Hallelujah. If you have salvation, you have the most precious thing a person could ever hope to have. See, here's something I can appreciate about a thief. If a thief steals something from you, it's because they understand the value of the thing more than you do. A thief can steal anything from you if he doesn't understand the value of it more than you do. If you value the thing more than the thief, you'll keep it safe. If you value it more than the thief, you'll value it enough to keep it where no thief can possibly take it. Amen? 
And this is why I like this guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Because he sees the value of what Jesus is going or is doing on the cross and the power of the moment that he has just happened upon. The thief is about to be executed. And he's saying, I've waited for this moment all my life. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. I've gone the wrong way all of my lifetime. But for the power of this moment, he would have been lost. But for the power of the moment. So he says, Jesus, remember me. While the guards are laughing, everybody else is having a good old time making fun of Jesus. This guy may not be honest, but he recognizes the most defining moment of his life. Doing the right thing at the right time will determine your destiny. Defining moments when we decide between our past and our future are what is and what could be. In Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day whom we will serve. Choose you this day whom ye shall serve. This is the day of salvation, folks. This moment in time could change your life. It could change your kid's life. It could change your grandchildren's lives. In Luke 23, 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus had to die before the thief. They broke his legs and they pierced his side and he had to die first. Why? Because he had to purchase the thief's salvation. That thief may been, have been a sinner. His life may have been one big mess after another. Everybody else may have written him off. But that guy knew that the power of the moment when Jesus Christ would say, you will be with me. He knew he better not mess around here and, and wait till the opportunity was gone. He knew he had to make things right with Jesus while he had a chance. And the reason why the thief on the cross received a place in heaven that day is because he understood the value of all of it. The power of the moment. What are you going to do with that moment in your life? Are you going to waste it? This opportunity for you to hear a message that can bring you salvation. A moment where you, you're asked to consider Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To open your heart and to let him begin to work in your life. That's what I'm doing on this broadcast today. I am trying to share with you the greatest thing a person could ever receive. The opportunity to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your heart and a life to Jesus. What are you going to do with this moment? What are you going to do with this moment? Let's pray together. Jesus, say it with me. Jesus, I want to give you my life. 
my soul, my heart. I want to receive the gift of your spirit in my life. Say it with me. I want to receive the gift of your spirit in my life. I want to learn more about you so I can live the way I want or you want me to live. Help me, Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Help me, Jesus, to understand the power of this very moment and what you can do in my life. I'm looking forward to sharing more about Jesus with each and every one of you. I'm looking forward to helping you to get closer to Christ today. It comes through grace. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 24, Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. In sincerity. So if you prayed that sinner's prayer, we just prayed in sincerity and in by faith. Then by golly, we've got a long, you've come a long ways. Like that thief. You've grasped hold of that moment, that moment in time. You know, I often think if I could, I'd rather pay for my own salvation. Rather than having Jesus die on the cross for my sin, I'd rather just do what I have to do to pay what I have to pay to earn my own way back into heaven. And think about that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. <clears throat> that might sound weird to you that I'm I'm saying that, but but I'm like that I think that a, a lot of you listening are, are the same way. In fact, some of us think, or at least hope, that there's that's the way it works. We find Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And there we are. We're saved. But does that mean we can still commit sin and, and do all these horrible things to other people and we're still going to see heaven? No, it's a work in progress. I do not believe in once saved, always saved. Because God can see your heart. Like there's this, people think that there's a, the, the scale of justice. There's bad on one side and good on the other. And, and and I've got so much bad, I've got to start doing good to get that scale to balance out, at least balance out. There's not enough good in your lifetime to earn your way to heaven. In fact, some of us think, that, or at least hope that that's the way it works, but there's not enough. There's just not enough good that you could do to earn your way to heaven. But there is a real problem with that kind of thinking. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none, none righteous, no, not even one. Now, my friends, we're all in it. We're all in this rowboat together, this big, big, big rowboat. And we're rowing along and everybody's doing good. And all of a sudden, sin comes into that rowboat. And that rowboat begins to rock, really rock hard. But everybody in that boat is in the same boat, right? 
And we're all in that same boat. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. But doesn't that sink? It kind of stinks for all of us. Self-pay kind of people aren't going to make it there. You can't pay your way into heaven. Whether it be by money or good deeds, you, you can't pay your way into heaven. You should live a good life. But the only one that can get you to heaven is Jesus Christ. No man comes to the Father save through the Son. See, what this scripture means is that not, not a single person ever born on this planet except Jesus Christ had what it takes to pay for their own sin. None righteous. No, not one. So he decided not to pay for his own sins because he had none. He decided to pay for all sin. In other words, the cost of salvation was way more than, than we can ever pay. And the requir requirement to live a perfect life is too impossible. One time a friend, I invited uh, him up to, to uh, see us there in, at the church in Ashford. Said, I forgot. Oh we went after dinner after church, and he said, I forgot my wallet. I have no money. I have to get humble. That's why the, that's why the world's religious people are so confused. They are all trying to figure out who pays for the bill, who paid for it all. When it comes to religious and even churches, you have everything from McDonald's. I can't eat any more good stuff. Because some people are trying to figure out what they can afford. In other words, how much good they have done. Will that get them into heaven? That's not going to get you to heaven. After they realize they can't afford heaven, they won't just let Jesus pay for it all for them. But that's what you have to do. You have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he, he's going to pay the price for your sin, for your life. First John chapter 2, verse 2, in the New Living Translation, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for all sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Amen. What we are talking about this morning it, excuse me, is that moment is the power of that moment that you realize that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That's the whole reason he died on the cross, was to pay for your sin. In 1 John chapter 2, it tells us that. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. What are we talking about? Taking that moment. Taking the grace of God. That's the moment. To me, grace stands for great redemption at Christ's expense. If you spell out grace, G-R-A-C-E. Great redemption. At Christ's expense. I couldn't pay it. I couldn't pay the bill. So Christ paid it for me. With his life. So we've moved. From the power of the moment. 
understanding that in that power of that moment, we find the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by the grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. He didn't want any anyone being able to say, I paid my own way here. I earned heaven. No, you didn't. Christ died so you could be there. So why is grace a gift from God? Because none of us could afford it. In Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, King James Version, let us therefore come boldly, say it with me, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, when do we need grace? We've we, When we've messed up. I don't need grace when I'm living right. I need the grace of God when I'm messing up, when I'm sinning. So the early church would say it over and over and over again to one another, grace be unto you. That's what they were trying to get across. Grace be unto you. Because they understood that the only way any of them were going to make it out of this world and into heaven was if that person experienced God's grace every day. Every day. Walk in the grace of the Lord every day. Ephesians 4 and 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of our Christ. <coughs> So grace is not a blanket charge or cost. It's according to your need and according to your ability to receive the gift from God. If you're like, no, thank you, I'll pay on my own, then you're going to come up short and you're going to be in a real trouble someday. But if you can somehow get over your need to pay for your own sins and allow God's grace to pay for them, you're going to be okay. Revelation 22, verse 21, King James Version, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. So that's, what's the last verse in the Bible? All throughout the New Testament, you see the apostle writing to the churches these letters, and the letters over and over and over again, they are saying, grace be unto you. You have to grab... That moment. You have to grab the power of that moment and take the grace that God offers. Over and over again, grace. 122 times grace is used. Grace is the most important concept in the Bible. Without it, we would be all lost, even the very best of us. <clears throat> in Romans 1 and 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.3 Grace be unto you and peace from our God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 2 John chapter 1 verse 3 Grace be with you, mercy and peace 
from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Revelations 1 and 4. Revelations 1 and 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. He says, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is yet to come. So what is grace? And what are some ways people have defined grace? Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovingly, the peace of God given to the restless and the unmerited favor of God. Grace is a free sovereign favor to ill-deserving. Grace is the love that cares and, and stoops and rescues. God reaching downward to the people who are in rebellion against him. Grace is the unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. Grace is most needed when best understood in the midst of sin, suffering, and brokenness. We live in a world of earning, deserving, and merit, and these re result in, in, in a judgment past. This is why everyone wants and needs grace of God. Judgment, listen, judgment kills. Only grace makes alive. Hallelujah. A shorthand for what grace is, mercy, not merit. Grace is the opposite of karma, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. Christianity teaches that what we deserve is death with no hope of resurrection. While everyone desperately needs it, grace is not about, about you and I. Grace, fundamentally a word about God. His uncoerced initiative and pers pervasive extravagant demonstrations of care and favor. That's what grace is. Too many big words. It's, un, it, 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 it's, it's God giving nothing less than himself. Grace, then, is not a third thing of substance, meditating between God and sinners, but it is Jesus Christ in the redeem, redemption act, uh, action. Grace was something that the first Christians not only understood, but also wished and prayed for. Normally I would end this, but I'm going to end it shortly. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, actually, let me do it the regular way. Hold on. Lord God, your holy word says that you love me and my family so much, and those that are listening to this broadcast so much, that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die, to die on that cross for our sins, so we could live with you forever. <clears throat> you said that you would give us a new life, a new name. That is a wonderful and rich life. And I pray that those who are listening to the sound of my voice right now may become like you. For we are your children. 
and you love us. It is by your grace, Father, by your grace, that we will live our lives in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your love is in us. It's not a feeling, but a decision requiring more than mere words. As a Christian, we should be light and we will live as a child of the light. And the light produces in us all that is good and right and true. Lord, lead us in the path of righteousness for your namesake. We, we, we propose to live with a sense of responsibility that Christ has placed upon our shoulders. Not as others who do not know the meaning of life, but as one who does. Direct us by your Holy Spirit and, and may make the best use of our time here on this earth as these evil days approach us. <coughs> Father, there was a time when you looked for an intercessor. And we are willing to stand in the gap as prayer partners, prayer warriors, shepherds of prayer, and make up a hedge so that our family will not suffer judgment. Send your Holy Spirit to convict, convince, and demonstrate to all of us about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Give us a heart of flesh and send a labor of the harvest to share with us the gospel of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we pray, amen and amen. Don't forget, we will be back on, on the first Wednesday in September. I believe that's the 7th with our Wednesday night service. Uh, until then. We love each and every one you may. May God bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you until he brings us back on Wednesday. Bye for now.